Welcome to In 20XX. This series takes the listener, year by year, into the future. If you like emerging tech, ecotech, futurism, skepticism, apocalyptic survival scenarios, and disruptive science, sit back and enjoy short stories that showcase my research into how the future may play out. In 2035, they stop reserving FM and AM radio bands for specific stations. Those frequencies are given to Link-G, the best wireless internet technology at the time. Well-established radio stations, already broadcasting on podcasts and live streams, continue producing content. People can still buy mock radios that play live stations, but these devices are essentially VoIP players connecting to the internet. Sherry Rose, wearing a loose black dress over a long sleeve showing line-drawn flowers that appear then slowly fade, walks through a rec zone in Detroit. Her blonde and gray hair is piled on top of her head in a bun. Below medium height, she looks up at most people with curiosity as she passes them. Blue AR arrows guide her. Her extra-large eyes can make her look zany like a brainwashed cult member, but her actions and way of speaking assure people she has a keen, clear mind. Spotting the arcade, she picks up her pace. The building is all roof, no walls. Passing under the roof where people set up stations, she veers left and right, avoiding others as she walks deeper into the maze. One station showcases anonymity fashion, including ponchos with changing displays and face shields decorated with graffiti-style graphics. Another space has bikes that fold up into backpacks and haul bed bikes. Next to that, a hologram inside a clear tube features a life-size avatar of the inventor of long-chain fuels. She reaches out to Sherry and says, "'Hello there, would you like to ask me a question?' A drone scanner on a tripod can scan the skies and track flying objects. A man sits at a table under a sign picturing pennies, nickels, dimes, quarters, and the message, I buy coins. Further down, a string as thick as a thread suspends barbells. Across from that, humanoid robots as big as Barbie dolls juggle, break dance, and walk on miniature tightropes. She stops at one booth and looks over antique radios. Some are in good condition, but most look like they spent some time in a landfill. Due to throat cancer, Sherry's vocal cords no longer work. Twenty tiny RF chips embedded in her tongue, lips, and facial muscles triangulate with each other to map her mouth movement. Software in her canal link turns the 3D map into words. A speaker pendant on her necklace plays her synthesized voice in time to her silent mouthing of words. She asks the femme tenant, Can I turn one on? The femme frowns, reaches her arm up to a hundred-year-old clock radio, and switches it on. Sherry covers her ears as digital noise hits them. She says, Oh, that sounds awful. The femme says, that's what the internet sounds like. The femme may not have realized Sherry's voice came through a speaker. Sherry comes up to a booth where a man wearing ragged clothes stands before a large aquarium connected to computer equipment. Assistant says, You've arrived, she says to the man. Amir, we talked earlier. He looks at her speaker pendant, his eyebrows furrow, but they quickly smooth as he meets her eyes. He says, Yes, you're from WDT? She says, Yes, and that's your fungus computer? She bows toward the contraption behind him. He says, Yes, the brown mass in the aquarium is the computing part. You can see how it grows off the receptors and sugar dispensers. She steps closer and says, I'm recording. He says, okay. She looks at an old keyboard and monitor and says, what can it do? He says, I'm running Minecraft on it right now. As you can see on the screen, the fungus is chopping down trees. 
It runs fine, but crashes after a few days, and I have to load it from scratch. She says, I think people are wondering why. Why grow a fungus that can act like a computer? He says, I can't speak for all fungus computer enthusiasts, but I know why I do it. I want to blur the line between human and machine. Your canal link is in your head, but it's still not part of you. Know what I mean? She says, I think I do. And now on Tech Cafe, our first story. An Arizona girl has invented a fundamentally new kind of math. It can't be considered a branch of math. Grace Knotts, age 11, published her discoveries in Acta Numerica, a leading academic journal. Mathematicians the world over have tested her math. She used AI to evolve it and claims it solves all known math problems, providing an alternative to calculus, trigonometry, and all other branches. But initial excitement for Knotts' math has cooled as leading mathematicians have concluded that, though interesting, the math is less intuitive and doesn't yield any new breakthroughs. Barley Pumperwack, the celebrity mathematician who hosts Math Antics, says, I was eager to try this math. It does intrigue me because it seems to come from an alien planet. As I worked with it, I kept thinking, yes, but I can get these results from traditional math. Knott's math won't revolutionize math as people hoped. Why reinvent the wheel? But I think hobbyists and tinkerers should learn it. It certainly is a mental workout. And Grace Knott's was just 10 when she generated it. What an accomplishment. It's too bad her school has been put on pause. Grace, you can always come here to Australia to finish your schooling. In other news, the genetics research department from the University of Kentucky has relocated to the Navajo Nation in lieu of being paused. On Navajo Nation land, the newly named secularist genetics has purposed the human genome. To purpose DNA means to 4D map what the DNA does. These simulations will take a lot of the guesswork out of genetic engineering. In a first, microbes have built a protein computer atom by atom. The computing density is 50 times greater than the best protein computer on the market, which is built by placing protein logic gates in etched silicone. Utilizing DNA found in shell-building organisms, the engineered microbes can grow a computer chip in six months. In the testing phase now, the new generation of protein chips should be commercially available in a year or so. You may have noticed some smaller fast food restaurants in your neighborhood. The fully automated restaurants don't require space for humes to work. Some of the venues are only a little larger than vending machines, and can cook food fresh in minutes after taking an order. That concludes today's show. Tune in tomorrow for Tech Cafe, brought to you by NPR. An autocab drops Sherry off outside a 20-story brick building. On the next block, a giantess production center towers much higher. New leaves sprout on the trees lining the street. Smiling, she marches past the living green wall in the lobby and takes an elevator to the 10th floor. When the elevator stops and the door opens, she jumps with surprise. The normally vacant reception with a great view of the city is crowded. Blanche and Phil, the only other people who work for NPR Detroit besides herself, both spin around and look at her with sorrowful faces. People who work for other stations stand in groups. Four cop bots stand with people Sherry doesn't recognize. She walks up to Blanche and Phil and says, it happened? They nod. Phil, who could pass as a high school math teacher, says, We're locked out. The stations are off air. She says, What are we going to do? Phil says, There's some talk of CNN hosting NPR. We'd have to leave the country. Sherry has never seen Blanche let her hair down until now. Blanche has also unbuttoned the top three buttons of her shirt. She says, They didn't even let us do a farewell to our listeners. Phil says, 
everyone's scrambling to hold things together the best we can. Sherry says, The election is coming up. Surely the Democratic candidate will win. Maybe wait and see if we can start again after that. Blanche says, Oh, hell no. I'm done. The first thing I'm going to do is get blitzed. I haven't had a drink for five years, but screw it. Phil says, Maybe, I don't know. It'll be hard to get everything going again. But I bet you'd get a position at the foreign location. Sherry says, I can't leave the country. I could become a full-time field reporter. Blanche says, Phil, if you ever wanted to take advantage of me, today's the day. Buy my drinks and I'll do as you command. I go crazy wild when the pain is deep. Phil says, you're a producer. I know you go out and find a local story every once in a while, but few full-time reporters get a steady paycheck. Sherry says, the stories are here. This country is imploding in case you haven't noticed. I can't leave. Blanche begins heading for the elevator. She says, Sherry, you're only thinking of yourself. Phil, are you coming? Phil follows Blanche. He says to Sherry, let me know if you want work. Maybe you're right about a new president and we'll all come back here someday. Sherry says, take care guys. Nice working with you. Five-year-old Mateo, Sherry's son, builds an AR interactive city in the living room. His city has three skyscrapers, 12 factories, a shipyard, trains, and an airport. With springy movements, he walks through buildings and roads. Citizens the size of flies crawl all over the miniature city. He upgrades the water management to reclaim water from the city sewer. To improve power management, he chooses a place to put a gravity battery well. His curly hair wings out on the sides. Some of his breakfast is on his shirt, a strap around the back of his head keeps his AR glasses from flying off his face. Assistant stands against the wall wearing business formal with a skirt. She says, Mateo, don't climb on the table. He doesn't say anything, but he does climb down. The condo entry door opens and Sherry comes in followed by a skinny man with hair growth issues who sells in the rec zone flea market. She says, we're back, Mateo. Air tapping on one of the skyscrapers, Mateo says, hi. To the skinny man, Sherry says, I'll show you around. I'd like to sell it all at once. The man says, do you have any weapons? She says, weapons? No. He frowns and follows, looking from object to object. She walks him around the condo, pointing out everything besides two packs leaning against the wall near the door. She says, that dresser is tree-grown wood. This stack of books belong to a Chilean correspondent. That watercolor was painted by a lunar. You might have heard of her, Rishug. The man shakes his head. He shows the most interest in the kitchenware, and the way he examines the knives makes Sherry wonder if he appraises them as weapons. When they return to the living room, he says, 500, she says, the clothes are worth twice that. He says, and I don't need the couch. She says, no, part of the deal is that you take it all. He says, let me break the couch apart here before I haul it. She looks down at her hands, petting one with the other. Exhaling roughly, she says, okay. He lets two hall bots in. They can walk and have flats that fold down. They load things onto the flats. While the man breaks apart the couch, Sherry takes Mateo to their favorite restaurant in the neighborhood complex to eat there one last time. When they get back, the condo is empty, except for the two packs. Mateo runs circles through the empty rooms, whooping with glee. She and Mateo take an auto cab to a neighborhood outside downtown called Sumptown 2. 
The original Sumptown was a squatter neighborhood. The squatters who lived there refurbished buildings, dug flood wells, planted gardens, installed solar, built play parks, made brick paths, and so much more. Outsiders visited. Two NCs were built next to it. Landowners showed up demanding rent payments. Non-squatters moved in. The core squatter population moved to the nearest abandoned neighborhood and started over. But this time, many of the squatters secure ownership of the unwanted property before making it homey and desirable. Sumptown 2 is growing with more foresight. Volunteers dig deep trenches where main roads will go. The trenches will be utility and floodways and roads will go over them. The roads will be made of recycled material. The car bringing Sherry and her son stops at a dead end on a street of dilapidated buildings completely covered in vines. Mateo presses his face to the window. Assistant says, you'll need to walk two blocks. She says, keep the car here. We'll leave the luggage in the car. Assistant says, I'll park the car. Sherry and Mateo share an assistant so they both see the blue arrows that lead them to step over a barricade that stands half a meter high. They take a walkway made of cardboard planks running along the side of a trench. A plank bridge takes them across what will be a street. Humes in the trench dig and haul dirt. Two femmes pull vines off the husk of a four-story. A man and three kids pull a broken frame out of a first-story window. Hammering echoes off the buildings. They step onto a path on the broken remains of a road overgrown with trees and shrubs. People and used bots carry tons of things along the path. Things like solar panels, rolls of hose, water tanks, and tools. Sherry grabs Mateo's hand and rushes to the nearest mover. She says, Excuse me, why is everyone moving all this stuff? The man whose jacket makes him look like a hard-shelled beetle says, This is all from Sumptown. I'm not leaving my whole house system behind. I've got power, water reclamation, you name it. Want to pitch in? I'm generous with karma points. Three children follow him, each guiding auto trailers with spoked wheels. She says, no thanks, I have to meet someone. He says, how old is your little man there? She says, five. Mateo eyes him curiously as they walk. When they reach the co-op, Mateo points a stick up at the arc of the doorless entrance. Recently cleared of vines, the cathedral building needs a lot of work. Humes on scaffolding chisel out eroded masonry and apply mycrete. The air smells of cut plants, dusty dirt, and pollen. Every person they get near gives off barn smells. Inside on the cracked stone floor, people climb over brewery equipment, go through bins of electronic and mechanical parts, sharpen blades, and sort reusable material. The arrows lead Sherry and Mateo up wide steps to the newly added second floor. Partitions help define each project area. A man shows people how to cut away useful areas of clothing. A femme helps kids make mosaic on the wall. She says, the pieces can come from old dishes. Always go with an adult when you search. The buildings you search through may be empty, but the floors could fall away when you walk on them. After the mosaic area, the blue arrows stop. Sherry tries to take Mateo's hand, but he steps away. A man, a femme, and two children busy themselves surrounded by incubation units. Microscopes, a mass spectrometer, pipettes, and test tubes clutter a table. She says, Pen? The man in his early 30s looks up and says, Sherry Rose? He isn't wearing glasses, which throws her for a second. She nods. A smile easily spreads on his face. He says, I've listened to you for years. My God, Hazel, this is Sherry Rose from NPR. I heard you the first day I moved to Detroit. Mateo looks back and forth between Penn and his mom. She tries not to be awkward as she nods. The femme who he called Hazel says, I'll take the kids for a walk. He nods. Hazel leads the two kids to the stairs. Sherry says, So, you make microbes? He glances at her speaker pendant and makes no indication of noticing her artificial voice for the rest of their conversation. 
She gets the feeling he'll automatically accept everyone, a feeling that renders him very appealing. Her question excites him. He says, Some call them counterfeit, but I like to call them jailbroken. I'm sure you've heard of microbe packets that can change most plants into meat substitutes. You can buy it, but you can only make one batch with one packet. A place called the nursery altered that fungus so it can be incubated so you can grow it and use it repeatedly. As he talks, he bounces around like a boy even though he's tall and lanky. He says, Did you know the entire human DNA has been purposed? She says, Yes, lots of my colleagues have been talking about the implications of that. He laughs and says, I probably heard about it on NPR. The implications are already happening. A new desalination company used microbes to filter water in stages. First, they add microbes that take all the chlorides out, then magnesium. I forget the entire list. But my point is, these new microbes harvest expensive materials from the salt water and purify it at a fraction of the cost. They can do that due to DNA purposing simulations. He places his hand on a transparent jug filled with clear water. He says, The nursery sent me an engineered microbe that you add to water. It purifies even in low light. It sequesters all the toxins and impurities in a film at the bottom. And it works better than any filter. You can buy single-use packets, or you can learn from folks like me how to incubate the microbes yourself. Sherry says, That sounds great. Are they safe? What if the microbes get in a person's blood? He says, Our saliva and stomach acids kill them. When they sequester impurities, they kill themselves. They can't grow in the wild. They must be incubated in special conditions. This is just the beginning. Because we can purpose DNA, we can engineer microbes that carry out complex tasks. I have here a smelter microbe. Fill a vessel with water, add the packet, dump in old electronics, and the microbe will eat away the useless parts. Microbes will replace chemical medicines. Did you hear about the medicine that makes insulin in your bloodstream for a few months? She nods. He says, that's microbes. It reacts to the body it's in, so it'll always make a stabilizing amount. She says, you can incubate those? He says, no, I incubate microbes that make milk, beef, bacon, eggs, pure water, and my Crete. I didn't want to cut this short, but I need to go in a few minutes. I belong to work club. Today, we're teaming up to lift a roof that caved in. She says, you know I must ask. Any concerns about bootlegging someone else's tech? He nods and says, the companies know we do it. For one thing, the nursery alters the microbes enough for them to be considered new inventions. The companies aren't worried about us having jailbroken microbes because we'll never outsell them. Most people find it easier to buy packets of microbes four for a penny instead of incubating. She says, do you feel guilty? He says, sometimes I realize I'm making excuses for what I do. I'm careful how I talk to my kids about it because I don't want them thinking it's okay to break laws, but self-sustainer principles are what's most important. If not for the mega-rich owning most of the robots, I may have been a home builder, a fisherman. Heck, I may have been a high school chemistry teacher. Humes need to make sure they can always stay alive on their own. They must. We must. The Hume race could die out if we don't maintain the ability to stay alive on our own. Mateo stares at him with silent admiration. Sherry looks at Mateo, then back at Penn, and says, People were right when they told me you'd be a good person to talk to. After interviewing a few more people when she and Mateo get back in the car, she says, Assistant, take us through a taco party drive through The car makes a U-turn. Mateo claps his hands. A menu appears for Sherry. Sherry says, Show Mateo the menu. Light leaks around his glasses, and he looks forward and picks an item. Outside Stumptown 2, the car goes through a five-fast-food drive through Each restaurant is as big as an RV. 
pizza, teriyaki, subs, burgers, and tacos. Once automated, fast foods have shrunk in size. Food storage is the only thing keeping them from getting even smaller. In the NC, Sherry used fast foods as big as vending machines that cooked food fresh. The grocery next to them adds starter foods when needed. As they ride in the car, lettuce and salsa fall on Mateo's shirt. The car leaves them at a sleep locker building. People on the street wear dirty clothes and move without enthusiasm. They aren't poor by choice like the people in Stumptown too. A security bot standing by the entrance must be years old. Scratches and grime mark its clunkier, chunkier joints and shell. Robots walking the street are still a new part of the everyday, yet now she can spot outdated models. She says, assistant, rent me a room here. Assistant says, what size? A sleep pod for one, a sleep pod for two, or a room? She says, a room. Assistant says, your room is on the seventh floor, follow the arrows. Inside, a second security bot walks the hall. Cleaning bots make a commotion scrubbing the floor and walls. Doors stacked three high line the walls. A femme climbs out of a door near the top. The air smells of strong cleaning agents. When Sherry and Son take the extra wide elevator, it moves fast causing Mateo to say, whoa. He grabs the wall and giggles. Luckily, Mateo is only five. An older child might not take this lifestyle change too well. In their small windowless room, they set their packs against the wall and she plugs in their charge cables. She rolls out the puffer blanket and they watch it rise. They sit on the blanket. Assistant reads a book to Mateo. She says, let me see you read. The assistant appears. A femme wearing business formal sits next to Mateo, turning pages on a picture book that's three times larger than physical picture books used to be. Mateo sucks his thumb and listens. Sherry says, Mateo, don't suck your thumb. He continues looking with big eyes at the book as he pulls his thumb out of his mouth. She says, change the scene. While one instance of assistant continues to interactively read with Mateo, a second instance says, you have countless choices. Would you like a menu of the most popular? She says, sure. Nine images appear. She air taps evening rainforest and the white walls disappear, replaced by dense wet woods surrounding them. Mateo claps when he sees the trees. He then rubs his eyes. She sits cross-legged and says, Open production suite. A virtual screen and air controls appear. She loads the sound files from today and adds segments to the timeline. Half an hour later, as Mateo sleeps, assistant says, On behalf of Law Navigator, I must caution you that your ex-husband has also installed Law Navigator, which automatically collects life choice histories that may win him custody of Mateo in the future. She brings her hands to her face. She switches off her pendant speaker and says, why are you telling me this? Assistant says, Losing steady employment, selling your condo, and staying in a locker hotel don't look good in custody court. She says, I installed Law Navigator to be on my side. Whose side are you on? Mine or my ex's? Assistant says, Both. She says, Are you telling him that I sold my condo? Assistant says, No. Her face tightens up and she says, Is he tracking me? Assistant says, Law Navigator will collect information about you for him. She stands and shakes her fists in the air. It's too late for her to get so worked up. She says, anything else you want to warn me about? Assistant says, steady income looks good in custody court. You and Mateo can sign up to have your activities data farmed by Navigator. This will give you a source of steady income. A child's data sells for twice as much as a femme in her 30s. She says, no, I don't want to do that. When she's put together a show package of the self-sustainer interviews, she sends it out to several media agencies outside the U.S. The next day, they ride in an autovan out of the city, deep into the new wilderness. Assistant schools Mateo, 
helping him name shapes, count, add, and subtract. He slurps on a juice box straw. Sherry air types questions she can ask during the upcoming interview. Her AR notepad floats above her lap. For most of the ride, the woods grow high and they can't see far past the road. Sometimes a hill or rocky area will afford them a view of rolling, tangled forest. Most everywhere, wind turbines tower over the tree line. Sometimes she spots a deep mine rig or produce towers. To think that she used to see crops and cattle when she took a county drive. It's best that cows have no idea their population numbers have taken a nosedive. Cows have gone the way of the horse. A few hours later, they turn off the main road and take a private drive. Robots cut back wilderness. Auto tractors mow the lawns. A mansion stands on the crest of a hill. A pond glitters with sunlight. Small movements along the low stone wall surrounding the estate turn out to be sentry dog bots. At the end of the road, a five-door garage waits on a turnabout. The van stops. Assistant says, you'll need to walk the rest of the way. Sherry looks out at the path that leads up to the mansion. She says, drat. Assistant sits next to Mateo as they look at a book. Assistant says, what do you think is the moral of the story? Mateo says, that you shouldn't cheat. Assistant says, good, and why's that? Sherry says, Mateo. Both Mateo and Assistant stop and look at her. She says, I'm walking up there to speak with a man. Assistant will be with you the whole time and tell me if I need to come back for any reason, okay? Mateo nods. Assistant says, I'll keep the temperature comfortable. Sherry says, and if anyone or anything approaches the van, let me know, okay? Both Mateo and Assistant say, okay. As she approaches the mansion, a middle-aged man steps out from the double doors. His long hair flips around in the wind. His cardigan is long enough to seem like a bathrobe, and he wears a single-use t-shirt and shorts underneath. He grins and says, Sherry? She's a little out of breath when she reaches him. She says, Mr. Glass? He invites her inside. She says, Mr. Glass, you're part of a growing trend of people who work remotely and live far away from where they work. He says, I'm sorry, I didn't catch all that. I'm a little hard of hearing. Do you think you could turn your voice up? She says, oh, sure. Assistant, make my speaker pendant louder. How's that? He says, better. She says, do you show up to work in a standalone robot? He says, most of the time I do. My team stress tests robots in Flint. I need to be there during the tests. She says, do you ever need to show up in person? He thinks a moment and says, not yet. He leads her through the house. In a large downstairs room, two VR rigs stand. He says, I use that one the most. I strap in and it's off to the races. She says, I don't imagine Giantess delivers way out here. I didn't see a production center anywhere near here. He says, you'd be surprised. They have drones and blimps that deliver. But I order a lot at once. I have robots take care of most everything. They plan and cook all the meals, so they handle most of the orders. I have cleaning robots, a builder bot, two kitchen robots. She says, wow, but aren't utilities spotty out here? He says, my solar and wind have always been enough. I have backup everything. The most expensive thing has been water, and I just installed a new system that reclaims all my water, from the shower, from the toilet. It may sound gross, but I get perfect drinking water. She says, have you met any of your neighbors? He says, neighbors? What neighbors? I know the landowners in this county are all like me, but seriously, it's easier for me to take a trip to the city than to find where one of their houses is. Can you hold on a minute? He stares to the left of her as light leaks from his glasses. He says, the police are at my door. She says, what? A shiver passes through her. He walks to the front of the house and she follows, worried about Mateo. He opens one of the front doors to four cop bots. 
The bot in front says, Is Sherry Rose here? We're here for Sherry Rose. He turns halfway toward her. The bot says, Miss Rose, you must come with us. She says, My son is waiting nearby. She steps outside. The bot steps behind her and handcuffs her. It says, You're acting as a media agent. Your activities are on pause for review. Bewildered, she says, Where are you taking me? Are you Hume Run right now? I need to speak to a Hume. Her synthesized voice comes out far too calm for how she feels. The bot says, We're taking you to a media pause center. You're not being convicted. This isn't a criminal charge. Your independent efforts are being put on pause. Your last news story excluded a Christian perspective and is held suspect to eroding and challenging Christian views. She tries to struggle in her cuffs and finds the robot impossible to struggle against. Sweat breaks out on her forehead. She whips her head around and jumps as they escort her down the hill. Her glasses fall to the ground. She would have fallen, but the robot behind her keeps her in an upright position. They take her to a cop van parked behind the auto cab she rode here. She can't see behind her. She says, Mr. Glass, help my son. But her pendant speaker remains at indoor volume. She says, Assistant, let my son out of the van and tell him to come to me. Nothing. She says, Assistant, Assistant, where are you? The cop bot says, Your link is suspended while your media role is under review. She throws all her weight in the direction of the auto van. With absolute strength, the bot lifts her and sticks her into the cop van. It handles her like she has no strength. It pushes her into a seat, and arm and ankle restraints clamp down. The four bots climb on board. She tries to look back at the auto van as the cop van drives away. A broken cry comes from her throat. It sounds like a mortally wounded bird. The Media Pause Center is essentially a jail where the prisoners are polite, articulate, and most of them have degrees. Mostly bots run the place. The batteries on her pendant speaker run out and she can't speak. Of the 47 journalists paused here, Sherry is the most upset. She's the only one that requires a padded cell. When a femme cop walks through the cafeteria, Sherry jumps up and rushes the cop. Two bots stop her. She points at her throat and makes guttural sounds. Alarmed, the femme cop has some sense that Sherry is trying to say something. Why is a person from one of the sanest news outlets losing it so badly? On the third day, a man from Moms for Liberty visits. He hands Sherry a notepad and pencil. At first, she tears the paper where she scribbles. A week later, she has her pendant speaker back and charged. Lying on a cot, she opens her eyes and stands when a bot at her cell door tells her she has a visitor. Her ex-husband waits on the other side of the glass. Before she sits down, he says, I have Mateo. He's all right. She bursts into tears. After her sobbing subsides, she says, Is he? What happened? Was he scared? How long did he have to wait? Her ex says, I guess the Mr. Glass found him. She says, Oh, my baby. My poor baby. Thank you for listening. Please take the time to rate, review, and subscribe so that more future-minded people can find this show. My landing page is in 20xx.com. There, you can find the companion website to this podcast that includes an illustrated timeline and glossary.